Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Welcome to Sagemont, and welcome to those of you that watch on the internet. We thank you that you, from time to time, let us know you're watching. Last week I told a story uh, about Zimbabwe. I told you about a lady who had sold, excuse me, her husband passed away and she sold her house uh, for $2 million and uh, it became worth nothing. The $2 million was literally worth nothing. And uh, she was watching in, from Zimbabwe when I told that story and contacted her son and and said tears just came in her eyes, but she knew that the Lord had taken care of her and would take care of her. And uh, we heard from Mike Richards, uh, one that uh, we love very much here in Houston through the years. He used to have a radio program and our state senator, and uh, he was uh, uh, he has a group watching in Colorado uh, on Sunday. And we just thank you that you are watching, and we love to hear from you. And to all of you that are guests here in the auditorium. Uh, have a good, good day. At uh, any time during the service, there's a communication card there in front of you. If there's any way we can minister to you, please let us know. And we certainly would love to have you as a part of the Sagemont Church family if God were leading you to do that. And most important is we want you to know that you know that Jesus Christ is alive in your life, that he is real, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, but that he's your personal Savior. And so... Please know we're here to minister to you. And at the end of the service, we'll invite all of our first-time guests to come to our hospitality room where I go for just a few minutes to greet you and give you some things to take home with you that'll bless you and the people that you love for a long time to come. And also, we'll open up our Connection Center lobby, which is right here to the left, just beyond these doors. And there's a beautiful room there where men and women are there to talk with you about anything that you'd like to talk about having to do with your relationship to the Lord or a need you have or prayer request or whatever. So come by and let us uh, say hello. Uh, one quick word, very important, Vacation Bible School is coming up uh, June the 11th through the 14th, and we are so excited. These kids are beside themselves, and they're signing up just continually. We're expecting 2,000 for Bible school, maybe more, and we always welcome uh, workers. Um, we have it at night, so the men and the women, and those the women that work outside the home, that you could come and help us in vacation Bible school. A lot of parents. We have things for the parents, so we have a lot of parents come. It gives us a chance to talk with them and encourage them and so forth. So uh, when you came in the door, there were some, some forms there. If you can help us, please fill those out and come and join the group that's already committed to the best vacation Bible school uh, that we've ever had. So we really, really, really look forward to it. Then one real quick word. Uh, all I do is tell you what I hear, okay? Um, what's the, Will Rogers has said, the only thing I know is what I read in the paper. Well, the only thing I know is what people tell me. And uh, I got a call from Mr. Bill Dorsett, um, yesterday and uh dorset brothers concrete and uh he informed me all i knew was we were having meetings i mean boy i tell you what if you can go to heaven by going to meetings we got it made around this church i'll tell you that for sure but anyway i got a call from him 
And he said at 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon that uh, one of their trucks will drive up and start pouring concrete to build the foundation for the garden tomb. And uh, it will take, the builder says, it'll take 30 to 36 days to complete it. Uh, Mr. Mike Farmer, brand new members of our church, he and his son Bobby, the Farmer's Foundation, they're putting down the foundation. I talked to him earlier in the week, and uh, he's going to be the one drilling the holes. So I hope they're all together because I don't want Mr. Dorsey to pour that concrete all over the ground out there. It's supposed to go down in these giant pillars that are going to hold up that very heavy structure. So if you want to come by tomorrow and just pray from a distance, uh, they're not going to let you up close, but you can see and uh, pray and ask God to bless the tomb like he's blessed the cross. And if that happens, we're going to see a lot of people come to Jesus because they realize not only is Jesus not on the cross, he's not in the tomb either. He is risen, as he said. And so let's really pray for that project. And as you've already heard, we'll be moving in on June the 3rd. We have a handshake agreement. Now, there can't be anything better than that. You know, in West Texas, that used to be good. You know, that's called a West Texas guarantee. But we will, the, the inspectors have promised us, the, the chief inspector, that I'll see that you get in some way, somehow. Some of you may be holding flashlights and things like that, but we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do, all right? Now then, I want you to open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. We also are going to be reading out of Leviticus today, the 25th chapter and Exodus chapter 23, Deuteronomy 15. So I'll take you over there and you'll see those on the screen if you're here in the auditorium. But let me bring all of us up to date here on where we are because some of you are here for the first time. We're in a series of messages that have to do with what's going on in the land and the change that's taking place in America. I began a series several weeks ago because of uh, several events. I don't have time to tell you about them at this point in time, but I just want you to know that, that God has done a work in my heart in, in preparation for the messages that I'm sharing with you. Uh, I thank God for people that uh, God impresses to write books. Uh, one of the things about a book, including this one, if you know the author, it sure helps you to understand the book and to understand the source from which it's coming. And uh, I know James Bouvier writing Escape in Armageddon. Uh, James, you over here in your regular spot? Yeah, I see James up here. I know the author. Got one of the greatest books to put in the hands of lost people you'll ever, ever be able to do. And uh, when Jonathan Kahn wrote The Harbinger and I read it, I read it two times, just as fast as I could, uh, I mean, without putting it down, literally. In two days, I read it twice. I said, I want to meet the author. This cannot be exactly like it is. And I went to New York, and I spent two days with the author. I know the author. I am more excited about the truth of the prophecy of Isaiah and how it is unfolded in America. We, I have a bibliography uh, group over there. Uh, of, I mean, I, I have a... Uh, bibliography of the message I'm preaching. I know the authors of every one of those books. Richard Land, Richard Lee. Richard Land went to Houston High School, is voted one of the top 25 most influential men in America. James Robinson, John Wilsey, member of our church, seminary professor. Those guys have written fantastic books. If you could just get a hold of them, and our bookstore is going to try to keep them. They ran out of the Harbingers halfway through last Sunday, and they're almost out of them today. So if you'd like to go over there, go over there quick when this service is over, all right, and get uh, what they have. What we're looking at 
is the most incredible prophecy that I have ever, ever, ever been able to study intently. Isaiah 9, 10. Would you stand? Let me read it to you. <clears throat> the scripture says the bricks are falling down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Now, while you're standing, let me introduce the message of today. We're going to go seven years ahead. We're going to look at the Jewish calendar and how every seven years is a fresh start and how this all plays into the prophecy of Isaiah and how it plays into the prophecies, uh, excuse me, as it plays into the mirroring that we're seeing in America. The 25th chapter of Leviticus, verse 2 through 5. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field. Six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest into the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. And thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard, and that which groweth of its own accord of the harvest thou shalt not reap. Neither gather the grapes of the vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the Lord. Would you be seated, please, and listen carefully. If you're here for the first time, the bricks are fallen, but we will rebuild. If you will go back to 911 in the United States of America, you'll remember the terrorists hit the towers in New York. If you will go back to Isaiah, you will see the terrorists, the Assyrians, were the ones that God used to take down his chosen people, Israel. As those walls fell, as those towers fell, the trauma that went across America was catastrophic because always, from the beginning of this country's history, a wall of protection had been put around it for the outside enemy could not come. We had the horrible civil war within our borders, but outside the borders, God protected us until 9-1-1. And at that time, God had obviously in his heaven seen that the only way America's attention is ever going to be gotten is for me to drop those walls of protection. They are voting me out of their schools, out of their government. They are banding my Bible and on and on and on. And so the walls came down, the terrorists hit, the towers fell. But the first words that came out of all of our leaders were, we will rebuild, we will rebuild, we will rebuild. It will be bigger and better. We, as I showed you, we, and I was there when they raised the tower in New York. I got an email from one of you this week that said now they think they didn't build it quite tall enough, that it's just a little bit less than the Empire State Building. Well, we'll let them handle that problem, but... The, the situation is simply this. America said, we'll rebuild. So they went out and got a 20-ton rock out of the Adirondacks called the Freedom Stone. They put it in the ground, and everybody came around it, and they said the proper words, we will rebuild. This is obvious to it. And, of course, politics and all got that moved, and then they started building the Freedom Tower out of polished, hewn stones. Exactly what Isaiah is telling Israel. That's what you have done. Your bricks have fallen. 
your walls have come down, the terrorists have knocked you to the ground, but you are saying the same thing. And all these people thought they were bragging on America, not knowing that the verse that precedes Isaiah 9, 10 says, they say this in their pride and stoutness of heart. Israel said, in pride and stoutness of heart, we'll rebuild, we'll rebuild, we'll rebuild. And so everybody began to use that phraseology, we will rebuild. Same thing has happened to Israel. The sad situation is that Israel did fall. It had horrible years that followed. And with the fall of those walls and the sycamore tree, and we had our own sycamore tree. It was right outside of the, of the St. Paul's Chapel. Some of you have been there in New York City. It was 65 feet tall when the towers fell. The only tree knocked down was that sycamore tree. They hauled that sycamore tree out, off, and someone gave them a cedar tree. It was the identical kind of cedar tree that's in this prophecy that comes, the abyss tree, and they planted it. It's supposed to grow 100 feet tall, uh, but it was put in the same hole. When the buildings fell, right down the street, or really on the borders of the property, where George Washington took his oath of office and put his hand on the Bible, and took the oath when the towers fell, the foundation of Federation Hall, and some of you have been there, cracked right under where he stood. Now, all of that happened in 911, but now the clock must move on. Because you see, in, in the Jewish calendar and in the Jewish uh, way that God told Israel to operate, he put them on seven year cycles. And he told them what to do. Six years you work and you work and you work. And then on the seventh day, you let it rest. You remember the six work days? Same way with the year. Let your fields rest. Anything that grows up naturally, let the people have it. Let the animals, the wildlife have it. But you do not uh, work in that seventh year. Now, that was God's instructions to that nation. I want to be very clear about that. It was just for Israel. Listen to Exodus 23.10. And six years thou shalt sow thy land and shalt gather in the, first, in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field shall eat it. In like manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard and with your olive yard. Deuteronomy 15.1, listen to this. At the end of every seven years thou shalt make a release. And this is a manner of the, of the release. Every creditor that lendeth ought unto his neighbor shall release it, and he shall not exact of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Every seven years, the fields were not planted and the debts were canceled. Those that, that uh, had borrowed money were released of their debts. And the, the one that lended the money was to release them every seven years. That was God's instruction to them. The exact day of that release was to be the 29th of Elul, which is the day when the financial accounts of the nation would be released. This had the possibility of causing real chaos, which it did. Interesting, if you'll study, you'll see that the Israeli even the rabbis began to learn how to cheat the system. 
They began how to work around the rabbis, the religious leaders, began to lead the Jewish people to cheat the system. And by cheating the system, they could be part of, they did not know, but they became a part of of bringing the system down. It would be likened to a person that does not need to be helped from the outside, just getting help from the outside because of wrong reasons. It's the kind of thing that get people that want to have a lot more than they can afford to take care of that can get it anyway. So they do that. That's part of it. Corporations, individuals, yes, churches, and on and on the list goes. Now stay with me. That was just another sign that Israel had left God out of its life. That was just another one. It wasn't the only, it was just another. Their economy went to pot. It really began to crumble because the people that were supposed to be godly people began to cheat one another, lie to one another, and the system began to crumble. And the people of Israel who claimed to know God began to worship the idols of their world. And they bowed down to the idols of their world, and instead of changing their world, they became like their world, and they began to operate as so. And when that happened, things got even more catastrophic. Do you remember one of the commandments that says something about a seventh day? Remember the, say it, Sabbath day and keep it holy could I take you on a quick journey I'll take you back 50 years and 5 miles I'll take you over to Pasadena Texas where I was raised and I will take you back 50 years when Little League Baseball came to Pasadena I was there when they signed the contract when Little League Baseball came to Pasadena and they started having that great organization to, so kids could go out and play I stood by the mayor Vernon Whiteside when he signed the decree I got a picture of it. Eight, I was eight years old. And let me tell you, when Little League Baseball came to Pasadena, if any team would have thought about having a baseball game on Sunday morning, they had to run the manager and the sponsor and everybody else uh, out of town. And even Wednesday night, because there were so many Baptists over there that had prayer meetings, and the Methodists had some, and the Presbyterians, you didn't practice baseball then. No, that was the Sabbath day. Business is closed. You remember the blue laws and all that kind of stuff? Fifty years this nation did exactly what Israel. What do you mean a Sabbath day? The churches are empty. The buildings are lying. Right. The beaches are full. The party places are full. But my house is going to ruin. Why? Because America thinks Sunday is like every other day. Do you remember a man named Truett Caffey? You ever heard of him? He owns a little company called Chick-fil-A. Mr. Caffey's family owns all the stock to Chick-fil-A. He came up with an idea of putting in Chick-fil-A, and he had a very unique idea, and that was he would not open on Sunday. He said, if I can't make a living in six days and my company can't, we just need to shut down and do something else. 
and I want my families to be free to go to church if they want to go to church. He never tried to force them, but he said, I want to pay them better than any of the other chains, and I want to give them a time to be with their families. The big malls came out. They all wanted a Chick-fil-A. But he, they said, when you come into our mall, you will be open on Sunday. He said, if Chick-fil-A comes into your mall, it won't be open on Sunday. So you decide whether you want a Chick-fil-A or not. That's what he told them. And he got into every single mall, not by opening on Sunday for the world, but he said, I just have a higher idea. And if you'll talk to Mr. Kathy and he's still alive, he'll tell you that's the greatest decision this company ever made was when we put God as the head of this company and he's already called his family together and he said, when I die, you better keep operating this exactly like it is set in the bylaws or you're not going to get paid if you're even my child. That's his attitude. But not today, friend. Not today. Our families will do everything with their kids but bring them to church if something else is going on. This is just another day. It is something, if you don't have anything else to do and you want to come hear some good music and get with some good folks, just come on down. But it'll always be there. If something more important comes up, go do something more important. It's all right here. Well, what was, miss, what was meant by this shemitah? It's what is called the shemitah, the day of the blessing. What, what is that all about? Back in Israel's day, everything began to crumble. A blessed nation had turned its back on God. God still wanted them to rest, but they would not do it. Seven years after 9-1-1, a traumatic thing began to happen in the United States of America. Listen to me very closely. Seven years to the day after 9-1-1, two corporations in America... One, the Federal National Mortgage Association. You ever hear of them? They're called Fannie Mae. Number two was the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, Freddie Mac. Seven years later, September 2008, they announced as the month began, we're teetering at collapse. You've got two buildings knocked down. Now you got two of the biggest corporations in America that have financed our homes and all. September 1. Go back in your internet, look it up. They said, we're in trouble. Oh, you can't be in trouble. You're the big shots. You're our financial towers. Well, on September the 7th, 2008, the biggest Shocked since the Great Depression when the United States government seized control of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac seven years to the day. Accident? You better stick with me. If you remember that number seven, you know that it's a very special number. You know, God created the world how many days? You know, six, and then he did what? Rested on the seventh. He laid it all out there. What happened when those companies went down? The government nationalized them. Remember? And shortly after that, Lehman Brothers, the apex of the world financial firms, in the beginning of the 21st century, they began to collapse. Just after the turn into the 21st century, they began to teeter. And they cried out for help. Now, they didn't get any help. But I'm going to remind you that 
the other's debt to the tune of like $5 trillion. And we're going to have to shore them up. There are towers. They're falling. We've got to get money. We've got to put it into the corporation and so forth. The first day, Lehman Brothers lost $4 billion. The next day, the stock fell 40%. 40%. And Wall Street and the Federal Reserve made a frantic effort on September the 15th, 2008. Seven days after Fannie and Freddie fell, and Lehman Brothers now having a problem with a collapse that was heard around the world. Freddie Mac, Fannie collapsed 9-7. Lehman Brothers lost 45%. And on 9-1-1, New York and Washington, D.C. was shocked that the towers had fallen. Seven years to the day from the towers of bricks falling and the two financial towers of the United States falling. Go back and read the prophecy. Take it on out. Go back and read Isaiah. Just read the rest of the book. And see what happened as God allowed the Assyrians to continue to do what he wanted done to his people until they would finally come back to him. And then he turned upon the Assyrians and took them out. And he says, you know, what's the strong? They were bragging. They were trying, look who we're knocking them down like flies. Isn't this great? And they did not understand that God in his infinite wisdom was in charge. And then on 9-1-1-08, AIG gave notice to the Federal Reserve that it was going to fall. Now listen to the book of Deuteronomy 15 and 1. At the end of seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. Exact day. Lehman Brothers bankrupt. Nobody helped them. Again, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac got $5 trillion. Maybe temporary, maybe not. Seven years of debt wiped out. Let me ask you something. Senior adults, medium adults, uh, do you remember what happened to your 401k? Do, do you remember what happened as things began to tumble and tumble and tumble? What had happened before that date? What happened after that date? What happened last week in the United States? If you don't keep up with it, we had the worst week that we've had this year in American stock. All days, down, 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 down. We've got to pay attention, don't we? We've got to listen. Congress trying to reverse what was happening. September 29, 2008, they announced there was no plan could be put in place. And that day, the stock market fell. You ready for this? Seven, more than 700 points. 777 points. The worst day in the history of Wall Street. The next two weeks, Dow, Dow fell. Ready for this? 2,700 points. The seventh month of the Hebrew year. $700 billion lost. 7% of the stock market was wiped out. And the final point drop was 777 points on the final day of the seventh year. Who could put all those sevens together? You're going to sit back and say, I don't even believe there's a God, much less that that could happen. Well, Israel had some people like that. And by the way, we have a right to be like that. 
God says, I shall have no other God before me. And, and the Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. But that's okay. If you want to do that, God loves fools. We were all fools until Jesus came into our heart, you know. So he loves us anyhow. But fat years and then the lean years. Six up and now down. Labor and employment. Remember what happened to Chevrolet? Remember what happened to Chrysler? How about the commodity market? I'm big on the commodity market. I buy corn by 50-pound bags. You say, boy, you must like a lot of corn. Well, I don't, but I, I like to feed the animals corn. Two years ago, I could buy a 50-pound sack of corn for $3.50 a pound. Today, it's $10.50 a pound. I could buy gasoline a whole lot cheaper. Couldn't you? Or do you know another station where you can go and get it cheaper? I mean, what began to happen? Everything began to go up. What about your interest that you're earning on your savings? Uh-huh. And what is God saying? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. What would happen, folks, biblically, if God's people did what God said? Now, Israel would not do it. We don't know yet whether America's going to do it. So let me close with a real quick story here. Last Thursday, excuse me, last Wednesday, I called Brother Chuck to my office. He's our executive pastor. God has laid something on my heart very, very strong. Let me just reminisce real quickly. Some of you here in 1975 when this church got together and unanimously said we're going to get out of debt and we're never going to borrow any more money. If we never bill, we're never borrowing any more money. We're, and we discussed it. We realized it wasn't practical, you know, uh, and uh, it, we realized that, uh, hey, it just didn't make any sense at all, except Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all our needs. So we said, we're going to get out of debt. We got out of debt. We didn't know interest was going to go to 22%. It went to 22%. But we got out of debt. The building that we've just built is paid for, and $41,780,000 in interest has been saved by paying for that debt, for that, that building and not going into debt. Those are wonderful. It's affected churches everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds, hundreds, literally thousands of churches shake their head and say, you say Sagemont anywhere in this world, if they know anything about this church, that's that church that doesn't borrow money and doesn't pay its offering place. Well, well who, who came up with that brilliant idea, God? Because all of us were reading the Bible through. All right? So I'm thinking now, God, what do we do now? So I called Brother Chuck in my office. And I said, Brother Chuck, I said, I believe God has given me a word as strong as any word I've ever gotten. And that is that God is looking for a people whose heart's perfect towards him. That will just do simple stuff. Humble yourselves, pray, seek God's face, and repent. That sounds to me like red, yellow, black, and white would be qualified. It sounds to me like college graduates, high school graduates, or first grade dropouts. That sounds like rich people or poor people. That sounds to me like old people or young people. Anybody that will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If God could find a people whose heart is perfect towards him, he found one that would set a precedence of getting out of debt. But could he find one, and why not the same people that God would use to be a praying people? I said, Brother Chuck, what do you think? 
Tears came in his eyes. And Chuck's our executive pastor, if you're a guest, and he's like a brother to me. And, and tears were in his eyes, and, and he said, Pastor, I've been feeling the same way. That day at noon, unbeknown to Chuck, we were over here at this Mexican restaurant on Scarsdale, and Chuck was on the other end of the table, and Wade sat across the table from me, Wade Owens. He leads our awakening service. I shared the same thing with him. And Wade said, Pastor, he said, I think you're right on. After I got through talking with Brother Chuck, I called Bill Cole down in my office. I told Bill. Bill, again, said the same thing. Pastor, I think it'd be unbelievable if a church would learn how to worship. Let me tell you something, folks. You know what all, I'm, I'm, you know me, I just, you know, all I know to do is tell you uh, what I know <laughs> or what I've experienced. You know, all I hear is what kind of music are we going to do, that kind of stuff. Who's going to do the preaching? Is that the most important thing? Let me tell you what the most important thing is. It's whether God shows up or not. It doesn't matter what songs are sung, folks. It doesn't matter who's up here in this pulpit. It matters a whole lot whether God shows up or not. And, if, and I have yet to have the first person ask, well, are we going to do anything about praying? You know how much time we pray using the worship service? About three minutes. Brother Nelson Price, uh, not Nelson Price, Brother Nelson here in our church, he did his survey for his doctor's dissertation on Baptist church and how much they pray, and it averaged about three minutes and 15 seconds in an average worship service, okay? Now, here's the point, folks. I asked Bill, I said, I think God wants our church to learn how to pray and do what God tells us to do. You know, I think that's what we need to do. And the music will enhance that. Now, I was going to talk to Stuart Rothberg, but my, my schedule fell apart in the afternoon, and I did not talk to Stuart. I did not say a word to him. But I came in here Wednesday night with a lot of you. Stuart's preached on what's happened to the sanctity of marriage and what's happened about this that anybody, you know, can live together and all this kind of stuff. 5,000 years of how God, God said, for this purpose you leave your father and mother, you cleave to your wife, and the two become one place. That's God's plan. That isn't a Republican's plan or the Democratic plan or America's plan. That's God's plan. And 5,000 years have been thrown out the door. He preached on that. Then when he got to the end of his preaching, he walked right out here and he began to talk to those of us that were here. And he said basically exactly what I had said to Chuck and what I had said to Bill, and he and I had not discussed. And that is, America's only hope is to pray. And then he said to the Wednesday night, and we have about 600, 700 here on Wednesday night, he said, I want us to close tonight, and I just want you, wherever you are, just to pray out loud for this country and for God to humble us and for us to repent individually and collectively. I've just told you I'm repenting of being your pastor with three minutes of prayer, okay? That's pitiful, folks, pitiful. But we started praying. If you were here, it sounded like a mighty Russian wind came through this auditorium. It's a rumble in here. People were praying all over this auditorium. I mean, pray and pray and pray, and children were praying, teenagers were praying, adults were praying, everybody was praying. And then we stopped that and went to a deacon's meeting, and the deacons went out into the new building, and they scattered out all over that building and started praying, started praying. I believe God's going to speak to the senior adults of our church. I think they're going to be the leaders. You know why? Because we've been around longer. Man, those kids that stood up here a while ago, they don't have a clue what they're getting into, not a clue. <laughs> But I tell you what, we've seen the good times. I saw in 1945 
when the soldiers, every American soldier, when they came back from World War II, was honored as a hero by every American. And you know what's going on today, and it's absolutely pitiful. I can remember when Rice Stadium was filled with people, and Billy Graham came and preached a crusade, and thousands of people got saved, including Buddy Griffin, who is on our staff. That's what God does when God shows up. And if God's people have an opportunity and worship becomes a number one thing, not praise, worship. I preached on that several months ago. Worshiping Him, praying for Him, humbling ourselves, repenting of our sin, getting our families back to God, getting our children. Listen to the news today. What is his name? Beaver? Justin? That is his name? What's his name? Huh? Justin Beaver. Yeah. Justin Beaver. Hey, he's, he's a bad guy today on the news. You know what? His stuff is blinding our kids. It's on the news today when you get home. Something about his video or something. I don't know, but all our kids are going to go blind. You know, I, I don't think that's true. But anyway, that's the news. But you know what's happening in our world? We're the people of God. We're just doing like everybody else. That's my favorite song. That's my favorite movie. Have you gone to that movie? Have you done this? Have you done that? No, I haven't. I've just been in the Word of God. Just been praying. Just been seeking God's face. I've just been repenting and turning from my wicked ways. Wow. Well, my time is gone. But I will tell you this, if you want to go back and check your history. Just a few days before things started happening in America, the month of Tishri, which is the first of the seven months, the Northern Rock Company in Britain, the fifth largest mortgage company, went down. September 13th, 2007. The calendar year that began the Shemitah. It started in our mother country and things closed. And they went down. I want to close my message today and I want to read to you something. When our present president was inaugurated the date, I've written it down here. Uh, let me look at my notes here. February the, uh, just a minute here. Let me, I want to get the right date on this, but it's, it was February. Right after his uh, inauguration, he came to give the first speech. It was February 24th, 2009. The Bible says, I read to you last week, we need two or maybe three witnesses. Remember that? I gave you one. You remember Tom Daschle? First time he spoke, next morning, when they had the Joint Congress, he quoted Isaiah 9:10. Then I told you three years later to the day, John Edwards, Black Caucus, Washington. First one's in New York, now it's in Washington. He goes before the Black Caucus prayer breakfast. He does the same thing. Both of them is encourage us, not reading the verse before. Those are, those are signs of defilement. We have elected our president. Now, I'm, this is not about the person. This is about the position. Can you keep that just separated Christian people? Now, the world can't, but can you separate that? I'm reading this not because of who's the president. I'm reading this because this is the president of the United States on his first address to this nation after being elected our president, and we all wanted to hear what now. We've got a new leader. Here is his words Madam Speaker, Mr. Vice President, members of Congress, and the First Lady of the United States, I've come here tonight not only to address the distinguished men and women in this great chamber, but to speak frankly and directly to the men and women who sent us here. That's us. 
I know that for many Americans watching right now, the state of our economy is a concern that rises above all others. And then he went on to set the stage in his speech, and he began to frame the magnitude of the crisis that we were facing. And here are his words as the speech is winding down. But while our economy may be weakened and our confidence is shaken, though we are living through difficult and uncertain times, tonight I want every American to know this. We will rebuild. And that was the words, first words we heard from the highest office in our land. They still don't get it, folks. But they're not the ones that are supposed to get it. The church is the one that's supposed to get it. God has put us here to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then we'll hear from heaven and he'll heal our land. And that means everybody in America will get blessed if God is allowed to come back to America. But don't ask him to come back to the Congress and to the schools and to whatever else until he comes back in your home and my home and my church and your church and all of that's his home and his church. And when God shows up, good things are going to happen. And if he wants to come right in the middle, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. But you'll find your church without spot and without blemish. And we are blemished until we learn to pray. And we are committed as a staff of leadership to lead personally and publicly in prayer and leave the results to God. Let's pray. While I close with a brief prayer, would you just say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is there in my life that is so obviously like the world and the world knows that I'm just like them? that I could change and it would just at least say to them something's different in my life a wonderful change in my life has been wrought and let's pray that God will do it again our Heavenly Father you and you alone know your plans your ways are so much higher than ours all we know to do is just when somebody points out something to us in the scripture and we have ignored it or believe it's not for this generation. And we've watched our kids go into rebellion. We've watched people become slaves of every kind of a drug and immorality imaginable. And when we see a land that has left its churches and they're, they're closing their doors by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds because nobody wants to come anymore because they don't like something that people are doing there but the real problem I believe God is they've never seen you there because you've never been allowed to come and so I ask you Lord with all that is in me to hear our heart as we cry out here we are Lord use us any way you want to use us but may the people see of the world see there is a God and there's a people that he's met their every need, their financials, but most important, he's changing their homes, he's changing their marriages, he's changing their countenance, and he's changing their priorities. 
and the idols are being thrown out the door and the house of God has become a place where God reigns and I ask it Father knowing that there are people even here and watching on the internet that don't know you and I pray today will be their day to receive their gift of eternal life and start out afresh and anew serving you in Jesus name I pray amen We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.